You're listening to the Expert on Europe podcast by UACs, the Membership Association for Contemporary European Studies. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Mark Field. I'm a senior lecturer in public policy and politics here at the University of Portsmouth, and I'm joined by my colleague, Professor Karen Hurdlowiat, um, Professor of Education and Society, also here at the University of Portsmouth. Thanks, uh, Karen, for agreeing to this today. I just thought I'd start with some uh, fairly non-threatening questions about <laughs> about your journey into um, academia. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about what you studied as an undergraduate and why you why you chose that topic. Well, I I studied European studies and French at the University of Portsmouth. Um, I originally applied to do European studies with French and Spanish, and ended up not continuing with Spanish. It was a four-year degree at the time, so there was an um, option for a year abroad, which um, in the third year, which I spent at Sciences Politiques in Rennes. And I really couldn't tell you why I chose to do European studies. <laughs> um, it's all very serendipitous, really. I'm the first person in my family to go to university, and I didn't know how to fill out the UCAS application. And I went, I applied later than my um, peer group, so there wasn't really any um, support to do it. And I kind of chose Portsmouth because I knew the city. But I also applied to do Japanese and French at Cardiff. So I could have taken a completely different mm. uh, route. So it was entirely by hazard that I chose a European Studies degree. And then I got to the end of that four-year um, degree. And like many scholars of European Studies... And I think that this is uh, something that we've tried to address with our students over the years is I didn't really know what to do with my European studies degree. I had no notion that I had been trained to do anything in particular. I didn't um, really have any idea what profession I would go into. And for personal reasons, I wanted to return to France. So I ended up enrolling in a postgraduate course back at Sciences Politique in Rennes. But whilst I had been here in my fourth year as an undergraduate, my personal tutor, my year tutor, had encouraged me to apply for a, a placement at the European Commission. And, you know, with all of the caveats that it's terribly difficult to get in and it's mm. very competitive. But I just thought, well, you know, I'll try it. And whilst I was on my uh, postgraduate course, I got the letter to say yes you're in and then I went to work at the European Commission uh, for a year in Brussels at DG Agriculture and I helped them prepare the uh, DG Agriculture position for the Earth Summit uh, in Johannesburg and that was yeah 2001-2002 and then I realised why I had done European studies you know it all (laughs) turned out really well in the end because I loved my time at the European Commission and I seriously considered staying in in Brussels and working um, either for a civil society organisation or taking the exams to enter the the Commission service. But again whilst I was there my year tutor that was an undergraduate that for my undergraduate studies came out with a group of students on a trip as part of their undergraduate Mm. degree and she said why don't you do a PhD I didn't know what one of those was. There was a bursary available, so I applied, and and then I ended up doing my thesis back here at the University of Portsmouth, 
and uh, I spent two and a half years doing that and I was offered a job two jobs at the same time I was offered to go to UCL or to um, a, a post here and I decided again for personal reasons to stay at the University of Portsmouth but also because I thought I was thinking long term about you know where I would uh, like to be and it seemed more attractive to be on the south coast and and so I stayed on here but yeah so there was no great master plan and it all kind of happened by accident for want of not having anything else better to do with. <laughs> That's pretty clear, thanks. Can I just take a step back then? You, you, you sort of mentioned that you'd uh, managed to get a bursary and for your PhD. What did your PhD focus on and, and how did you get to choose that topic? Well, when I got to the European Commission and started working for them, what I was in preparing the DG Agriculture position for this summit, I was involved in a lot of um, working groups, council working groups mostly, And what struck me was the way in which the European Commission gathers evidence and data and advice to support its policy positions. And I got really interested in these committee structures because at the time, hardly anything, you know, this is back in the early 2000s, there was hardly Mm. anything known about these committees. And yet they seem to be incredibly important and powerful. And I suddenly realised I had access to a whole load of information and data that potentially other people wouldn't have had. Uh, access to. So I decided that when the bursary came out that this would be an interesting area to do a piece of research on and I liked the fact that it had that applied dimension as well because it was really talking about the practice of advisory groups and how expertise is used and linking that to conceptual frameworks of transparency and accountability Mm. and how these kind of amorphous actors seem to be quite involved in policy making at the EU level but no one really knew at the time who they were and what their formal role was. So that ended uh, up being the focus of my my PhD and then once I'd um, completed the thesis I started to look at these advisory groups more broadly and did a comparison of DG Environment, DG Sanko, so looking at environment policy, health policy and uh, trade policy to look at how the different uh, units within the Commission, different DGs, used um, expert advice and policy advice. And, you know, I I kept the same interests in, you know, kind of these transnational actors, notions of transparency, legitimacy, effectiveness, started to apply these in other areas and kind of my research interests sort of expanded out from there, really. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you. And interesting that you're even at that stage, you identified the kind of uh, applied elements in your research. You know, your research was born out of your experience, your work experience, if you like. Yeah. And we may come back to that. You've uh, you've gone quite well, should we say? Can you talk maybe a little bit about how your career has progressed from that initially uh, being appointed and choosing to come to Portsmouth to to where you are now? Okay. Well, in terms of the mechanics of it, it was all quite complex in the beginning because my role started out as a a fixed term post. And um, so I was on an initial contract, which I think I don't think it was much more than a year. It might have been a bit over a year. Mm. And then uh, I was immediately faced with reapplying for my job, basically. That was all fairly straightforward. And then my post became uh, permanent. And it was a very small team here when I joined. There were five, five uh, full-time members of staff, I think, in the politics and IR team. And we had a huge um, uh, teaching load back then. And so there was the, there were, the work was available. That wasn't that wasn't the issue. It was kind of going through all of the HR processes, really. But eventually, I my role was regraded to senior lecturer because I had already been a year tutor and I was doing unit coordination. And as you know, in academia, all of these things count towards mm. um, progression routes. And became a senior lecturer. 
and then you know at that stage you're starting to think okay where am I going to go next now principal lecturer route or reader route or my you know my research was was progressing it was expanding I was involved in um, lots of different areas and I was taking on research leadership roles and at, at the time and so therefore I uh, you know I was soon able to put together a case for for reader so that was 2013 something like that hmm. I remember the vice chancellor saying to me at the time of my reader interview that you know four years time you should be making the move to professor well that seemed like a long time away at the time and of course it didn't take me four years it took me longer it took me five and in the end I uh, my route to becoming professor ended up not being down the same route that I took for reader um, so I've moved into this teaching and learning education and pedagogic route to promotion hmm. So it, I, I, I've been. Um, there's, there's a certain amount of luck in these things. I've been able to been able to be promoted each time that I've um, that I've applied, and it's been it's been fairly quick. So when I look now, that 13 years ago I finished my PhD, and so it's mm. you know it's um, in that time period to be able to go through that process of seniority. That's you know that that's exciting and yeah. you know. Yeah, thank you. Maybe we can move now and think a little bit more about your research. Because you mentioned that your research had changed a little bit from, well, your research changed significantly, really, from what it started at, looking at transnational networks, into much more now around pedagogy and learning and teaching and stuff like that. But maybe we could talk a little bit, first of all, about, you know, your, where your research journey started, the, the transnational policy networks, why you were interested in that. And well, it comes back to that um, to that initial experience of being actually in, uh, involved on the ground day to day in uh, European policy making. And I'd done a European studies degree, so I understood how the Commission worked. But what I really didn't understand when I was a student was how detailed and long and complex the process of the Commission collecting advice and ideas and expertise was. I assumed that, that all of that advice was in-house mm. and in fact, um, and this is well researched now, but in, at the time it was not, not really very well appreciated that mm. the Commission didn't have this kind of resource in-house and it was always looking uh, to bring this in from outside and just to see the colleagues around me in the office just phoning up you know the um, National Farmers Union and asking them what they thought on a particular article of a policy that was about to go mm. uh, through the next legislative uh, stages and I just thought that was incredibly uh, interesting so I suppose the the I'm going back to the change of direction. I mean, uh, yes, it could be, it could be seen as a change of direction, but I would see it as more of a a confluence of um, of activities. Really, I've always been interested in the way in which students learn and how they how they experience their degree, how they um, what their what what their overall student experience is when they're an undergraduate student and then on into postgraduate levels. Mm and really the same notions that i was interested in so you know i'm yes i'm interested in networks and how they form the origins of networks i'm interested in transparency um accountability effectiveness legitimacy so the, the, the those core notions concepts theories kind of remain it's that i've started to think about those in the he sector mm. and really try to bring those into my day-to-day -day activity. I mean, the University of Portsmouth is a post-1992 university, and we're a, 
above and uh, above all we're a teaching university and yes we we are research active but above all you know as the vice as our vice chancellor is often led to comment in the um in in the media as we rise through the league tables that this university puts students first students are at the heart of everything that we do and that this is a very much a teaching university and so i guess what i wanted to do was to take those underlying interests in uh, and these various concepts and apply those to my day-to-day uh, work and that has been happening now for the last three to four years more intensively but really you know I've been a member of UAC since I was a postgraduate student mm. so for o- over over 13 years probably 15 years been a member of UACs and it's been a very important forum to me in as much as you know when I was um, a postgraduate student it was one of the first places that I that I went onto the conference circuit and presented a paper it provided that first um, network of kind of national and international level network of other people working in my area and so I've I've always had that um, anchoring in that in the European studies community and what I've discovered through my work with UACES is that I've become more and more involved in the teaching and learning aspect and um, I've been lucky enough to work with um, Helen uh, Drake and Emily Linneman on the TYPES uh, project, the Teaching Young People European Studies uh, project. And, and that has led me to be involved in the Teaching and Learning Committee through mm-hmm. UACs and to be involved in the annual Teaching and Learning Workshop that precedes the conference and really solidify a great network of people around, um, around those activities which is now the network for my research interest too. And it's uh, really, again, a very happy coincidence that I've been able to overlap these hmm. previously separate areas of activity to become my main focus. Yeah, yeah thank you. That's, that's an interesting uh, journey you've described there. And I understand that you're also involved in um, outreach activity into going to schools and, and trying to... Um, spread the word in that way maybe you could say something about how that happened and and what you get out of it and what they get out of it yes so back in 2012 I was given the university Jean Monnet chair in European studies and that and being a Jean Monnet chair opens up a number of funding possibilities for European scholars so by dint of being a Jean Monnet chair I was able to apply for funding from the European commission the Jean Monnet activities to have a Jean Monnet module here and the basis of that Jean Monnet module was to create a simulations module. So, as is often the case in politics and IR, we have a traditional, a fairly traditional format to the way that we teach. It's, it still remains, not just here, but across the sector, mm-hmm. very much le- um, lecture, seminar dominated. But at the same time, there's a dissonance between the kind of students that we get in the door. You know, we, the University of Portsmouth have a great widening participation agenda. And indeed, I came into university via that widening participation agenda. So it struck me as very odd that we are accepting that we are going to have a, an increasingly diverse student population in front of us in the classroom. And yet we tend to teach in a very traditional format. And so what I wanted to do with that funding from the Jean Monnet module was to create a scenario which opened up different aspects of learning. So a lot of the uh, students that we have in front of us are like me perhaps first generation in higher education and they might not have enjoyed the 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 school setting of you know teacher-led provision and that they might actually enjoy like I did learning by doing 
and that kind of experiential learning. So what I wanted to do was to give students a flavour of what decision making might look like within uh, European institutional uh, settings. So the original module had these setups of sim simulating four or five different kinds of meetings in the European Parliament and the European Commission and the European Council and the students were invited to prep for those with me and then we would actually undertake the uh, simulation. So we had four of these simulation days throughout the 12-week unit. So that, that was a funded module. And then going from there, Emily and Helen, particularly Emily, because she's great at um, looking out for these funding opportunities, she saw this funding call from the European Commission about teaching young people European studies. Uh, again, it was Jean Monnet Activities um, funding stream. And so Oasis bid for this money and uh, was successful. And, and the University of Portsmouth was part of that bid uh, that I would, uh, with Helen and other colleagues, go into schools across the country and set up uh, simulations to get students to enact out a scenario. And uh, we envisaged that there would be several uh, benefits from doing this. First, it might garner interest amongst those pupils in going to higher education when they might not have necessarily thought of doing it, mm. that they might choose to do a humanities and social science subject, and even better, that they might choose to do European studies. So that was the basis of, all the, of that activity. And, that's, and so now we've, we've done several of these simulations. I think we've um, had contact now with over 150 pupils across the, um, across the country through these simulations, ones that I've done in conjunction with UACs um, and ones that we have um, led on here from the University of Portsmouth. So this fits with a research interest I have in um, active learning and active learning ped pedagogies and how we might be able to get really good learning outcomes from using this kind of active learning within the classroom. You know, that there are whole there are whole range of aptitudes and interests in front of us in the classroom and the, we, we shouldn't necessarily think in terms of a one size fits all approach mm. to our teaching. So different approaches which can be assessed in different ways, less of a focus on essay writing that students might not ever do again in their life unless they're going on to postgraduate study and more about writing position papers, briefing papers, reports, more of the kind of uh, stuff that we would expect our graduates to be doing when they go um, out into uh, employment. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you talked there a little bit about how you about how you've gone out into schools and used your your own experience and your your particular research interest in pedagogy and so forth. But um, it occurs to me that a lot of our research interests do evolve and change. We all come from particular academic discipline backgrounds, and you're by training and by by background a political scientist. And I wonder how your political science background has informed your your more recent work in education well i see that there's there are a great deal of overlaps between these i mean I've, i i don't want to labor the point on my kind of conceptual interest but you can see that all of those conceptual interests that i flagged up earlier apply mm. just as much in the higher education sector which in effect is a policy sector um, yes. at the end of the day and so it fits you know um, completely within that within that remit but i guess my political science background is um helpful in as much that, well, political science is extremely interdisciplinary, it always has been, and, and particularly here where we have area studies colleagues, international development studies colleagues, IR colleagues, public administration colleagues, mm. and that we that we all work together, but we're also sitting in a department where, on a, on a faculty where we have uh, sociologists and uh, linguists. So, you know, there's, there's a real sense that these disciplinary containers don't you know I've never really wanted to fit into one of those mm. and I've always been happy to work across um, across disciplines and I've taken 
um, a lot of the, the, the concepts and theories that I've come across over the years and now it's a case of, you know, take network, the notion of network formation and origin. Well, you know, you could be looking at the origins of networks in uh, transnational European groups and indeed I have, you know, I've worked with a European eye health network and looked at how they emerged. But if you are interested in how that particular network emerged, then why not look at networks and how they emerge in the higher education sector? Mm. I've always been um, happy to borrow these kind of frameworks, uh, apply them in, um, in in different areas. And, you know, being a political scientist means that I think you have a particular aptitude for, well, not aptitude necessarily, but interest at least mm. in, you know, taking the critical view, asking why, what, why, didn't, you know, why does that happen like that? Why does that work best? You know, what are the underlying um, issues associated with things happening in that way? So I think that that approach and standpoint works just as effectively when thinking about um, educational research and pedagogy. Mm. Okay, thanks for that, Karen. And uh, maybe to just finish and start thinking about, you know, the academic world is competitive. I guess it's always been competitive, but particularly at the moment. What advice would you give to any PhD student you have or potential PhD student who would like to pursue an academic career? Okay, well, this gives me a chance to get on my uh, get on my hobby horse, which is um, one of my uh, most favourite topics, and that is that yes, academia is extremely competitive now, and there is a real drive to publish, publish or perish. Now, this used to be very much uh, linked to um, you know, kind of uh, Russell Group, perhaps, where they, mm. there was more of a pressure for this. But I think this is even us in the post 1992 University at Portsmouth. There's very much that that feeling. But at the same time, academics are expected to be experts in marketing, admissions, admin, do our teaching, take on some administrative roles, and also you know uh, do research. So something that I'm very keen on doing and I'm, I still continue to work hard to do through my role as um, in uh, JSA in terms of uh, editing the teaching and learning section is to really give that advice to younger colleagues moving into the sector that not to think about pedagogic research as being uh, second best and to actually think about doing research on the day job and most of us our day job will be teaching and learning as academics that's that's the bread and butter but there's a whole research agenda around the way that we teach in universities, the kinds of students that we'll have in front of us in the future, and all of the political debates surrounding higher education and future funding um, of the sector. And that this this is research. This is fantastic research. So I think that there's often a there's often a view within institutions within the academic teams that you know you teach your subject your discipline and on the side you take a particular you plough a particular research furrow um, which will be purely within the the discipline but I would encourage more scholars to think about how they can conflate those two things much earlier on I mean I wish I had done that years ago Mm. I don't think it's affected me too much happily but I'm really happy to be doing that now and I'm really happy to have the opportunity the platforms through various roles that I have to be you know uh, internally and externally to really uh, encourage academics to do that so that would be that would be my advice to to pursue pedagogic research alongside other research and um, to merge these where possible um, there are fantastic outlets now for this uh, pedagogic research and taking that interest in pedagogy is uh, there's lots of routes to external recognition and mm. esteem through those through those routes which it's more difficult to get through you know pure research and possibly not so rewarding mm. either 
you know I'm 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 very happy to be engaged in research which might make a difference to people and people will actually read and won't you know it's not it's not destined for dusty bookshelves or the modern electronic equivalent that's fantastic well it's been really interesting and a really uh, really interesting discussion so thanks very much for your time most welcome for more UACs podcasts, visit uaces.org forward slash podcast and don't forget to subscribe for new episodes.